Hello, Element City Church. How are you guys doing? That was much better than the last time we did this. Thanks, Margo. Um, I hope you guys have had a great week. And uh, for those of you who don't know, this is my wife, Kimberly. And yeah, yeah. Um, last week, I just want to go back to last week a little bit. Last week, Jack talked about Element City Church mission. If you, who is here for that? Who is not here for that? That's a better question. Just joke. You don't have to raise your hand. Um, but if you missed that, it was about a life-giving, life-changing relationship with Jesus Christ, inviting people into that. And so it is online. All of our sermons and our teachings are online. So you can go to elementcitychurch.org, and you can click on the media and more, and you can watch every teaching that we've been doing for the last year and a half, two years. And, uh, and I would recommend that you, if you did not miss it or you didn't catch it fully, I would really, Jack did a great job of showing um, what our mission is. And so um, we're going to talk a little bit of uh, tonight. We're going to, we're just going to take a, a next step in, um, in following Jesus tonight. Kimberly and I are going to go on, on the next topic of life change and life change happens when we're in relationship and connected to a large group gathering like we hear now. And then also how you're gathered in a relationship in a small group. And so we're going to talk, um, we're going to talk about that tonight. A little journey that we're going to go on is a journey that you need to go on to as, as we're part of a large group and a small group. So, um, let's start us off with, with this real deep physical, I can't even say the word, a deep question, deep question. And I need you to be completely and utterly honest. And I need you to, to be brave, be brave. And you need to raise your hand. If you have ever watched an info commercial, the next question, that was, that was pretty much a majority of the room. So here's the next question. Very, very serious. Has anybody purchased anything off of an info commercial? All right. Well, there we go. And so. That's what I love about info commercials is every product, no matter if it is the ab reducer, which I don't need. You're cute. No, I probably need that. Um, or the other one that, br- that brings to mind is the, um, back when I was a kid, it was the Jinsu knife. The Jinsu knife where the, like, they cut the steel bumper and then they walked in the kitchen and cut a tomato. Like, I want you to cut a tomato with a knife that you just sawed a bumper off with. I don't, I don't understand. But they, but they do the info commercials in such a way, in such a time during the day and night, that you're usually alone. So you don't have your wingman or your spouse with you. And then you're like, I need that. I need that magic bullet. I need that jar opener. I need that steam shark. I need it. And they promise that it will radically change your life. They promise that you cannot live another moment. In the next three minutes, you can get this product and it will radically change your life. And sometimes we just buy into that lie. Because we're alone and there's no one holding us accountable to that. And we get caught up in a great idea, but a lie. Especially we get caught up in those lies when we're by ourselves. Now, I haven't bought anything off an of infomercial because I, I married a pastor and we've been poor most of our life. But I did grow up in the 80s. Woo, woo, Trey's out there. Mm-hmm. And 
you know, we had eighties hair and eighties makeup and all kinds of stuff. And, and I made some really bad decisions with my clothing and my styles. And, and I also probably were hanging out with the, the wrong people who didn't tell me the truth about such things. And I, I just brought some pictures, um, that they weren't of me cause I wasn't that brave that just remind us like, what, what now side ponytails coming back, but that's, that, that's not cute. That's not cute. How about this one? Oh, I mean, we had big hair. My best friend and I took pictures and we had so much hair. You couldn't even see our faces in it. That would be, that's not a good idea. How about this one? Bon Jovi. I mean, I thought that was cute. That's no, his hair is prettier than mine. That's, I mean, I love Bon Jovi's music, but that wasn't cute. This is one of my favorites. Oh, like that guy, he did not have a friend. To tell him, dude, that's not cute. He honestly thought that this was a great idea. And I wish I would have had somebody in my life at that time saying, Kimberly, you're going to look back on these pictures and go, dear God, what was I thinking? But tonight we're going to talk about something a little more personal than, than just bad hair, bad makeup, bad pants. We're going to talk about what happens when we get isolated and alone and we're not in a community and we make bad decisions that we labeled maybe that party the other night or that weekend in Vegas that we don't want to talk about? Or maybe our bad decision was our first marriage. Maybe it, for some of you, it's even your second marriage. Maybe it was that business. Your bad decision was that business investment that should have been a, a sure thing. We make a lot of crazy decisions and sometimes bad decisions when we're isolated, when we're alone, because we believe in the lies of the like infomercials and we believe in the lies of the world. That's why one of our main core values here at Elements is that no one stands alone because together we're stronger. There are people here from all different backgrounds, shapes, sizes, interests, ages. We're all different, but I know there's one thing. One thing that's true for every one of us is that God does not want us to journey alone. He gave Jesus 12 disciples. So if Jesus didn't hang out here by himself, then we're not supposed to be on this journey by ourselves. Because a lot of times we make bad decisions when we're by ourselves. God calls us to be part of a church. Like this is, this is his, this is his a game. This is his a plan a. He wants us to come together and worship. And I mean, that band just was amazing. That happens to be one of my favorite songs to come to worship together, to, to learn about Jesus, to, to be in community with each other. And he calls us to go a little bit deeper. We to have friendships, to have, to invite people into our lives, to give us, give people permission to step into our life and say, Hey, you don't have to live this way to step into our life and have hard conversations. And they're, hard conversations. You have to have people in your life that value you as a friend more than your friendship. And that's hard. Because that's something that we all need. We need deeper, we need church corporately, and we need smaller group of friends. Even if it's one that will step alongside you, that you give permission to step into your life. It's something that we all need. Kimberly mentioned the 12 apostles, and, um, or sometimes they're called 12 disciples. And so 
we're going to test your Bible knowledge a little bit and how you feel. So who is the most famous, most popular, most close to Jesus in his disciples? Y'all just blurt it out. Peter. All right. Wow. You guys are in the advanced course already. And so Peter, um, there's some, some things that Peter did really well. He, he loved Jesus really well. And he was um, the one that in the Garden of Gethsemane and, and the over Passover, he, they found out that Jesus was going to die. And then they went into the Garden of Gethsemane. And he, he just acted in emotion on most things and just went up and, and sliced the, uh, the ear of the, guard, the Roman guard. And he just wanted to protect Jesus. And, and he was one of the devout. He was so devout. And in in Matthew, it talks about how he was along with Jesus in everything that he did. And so in Matthew 26, 56, they had just um, had the Passover. They've had a discussion with God. And so I'm just going to read this to you in Matthew 26, 56. It says this. But this has all taken place that the writings of the prophets might be fulfilled. Then all of the disciples deserted him and fled. They all deserted him and fled. These were all guys that were hanging out for three years in close community with God, with Jesus. And they were focusing, doing miracles and all that kind of stuff. And then they got to this point and they all just were deserted. So if our first step to God is committing to following him, our first step is committing to follow him, then one of our first steps away from God will be from his people. I've been doing ministry a long time. I don't look it. I look 22. You do. No, I'm feeling it. And there's a phrase that goes along with almost every story that comes, that comes in in counseling or a person has been away from church. It says, many start with, I walked away from church and. I walked away from my community and this happened. I walked away and my finances went haywire. I walked away from church and my, my family fell apart or my business fell apart. And then those people start to, to this, this kind of questioning. The only person I can trust is myself. I've got to look out for number one, me. Or I'm just too busy. I don't need to be in community. I don't need to go to church. I'm just too busy. Or, you know what? I'm just going to leave church for a short time or my community for a short time and I'll be back. Do any of those sound familiar? Have you heard any of those? What if I told you the goal of the enemy... The goal of the enemy was to influence us into isolation. One of his major things to do is to isolate us. So be thinking of that as we go. We're going to find out now what happened to Peter when he separated from Jesus and his community. So go down to verse 58. But Peter followed him at a distance, right up to the courtyard of the high priest. He entered and sat down with the guards to see the outcome. So after Peter flees from Jesus, then he follows him at a safe distance. He walked away from Jesus. He walked away from his disciples. And now he's going to follow him at a safe distance. And, and we kind of do that sometimes too. That's our, sometimes that's our attitude. 
I'm just going to follow him from a distance. I'm going to follow him safely from behind here because I don't want to get too close. I don't want to be identified with Jesus because I don't want to be too churchy or Jesus-y and I kind of don't really want to change my life. So I'm going to follow him at a distance because I want to be near him. Not because I love him, but I want to be near him in case I, I need him. In case my marriages fall apart and I need him. In case my business is failing and I need him. In case I get sick and I need him. I need him near. And again, sometimes it's not because we love him, but because we will kind of want him in our pocket in case we need this Jesus guy. So what did Peter do? He, he followed Jesus from a safe distance. And then he sat down with the guards to see the outcome. Now, Peter is the most solid apostle that, you, that Brian just talked about on the planet. And he is sitting down with the guards. Do you think this is the best environment for him? Do you think this is where he should be? No, the guards are the enemy. They will eventually beat, arrest, beat, crucify, and murder Jesus. And that's who Peter's hanging out with. Peter takes himself out of this environment. And he puts himself in this environment. And he steps away from the church, which was Jesus was the church at the time. He steps away from his disciples and he, with his, the apostles. And he surrounds himself with the enemies of God, with the guards. What happened to Peter? And don't we say that to about a lot of Like, what happened to that person? Where'd they go? The same thing happens to us if we go down that road. In verses 69 through 74, it, it, it gets even worse. Because what does Peter do? He disowns Christ. He denies him. Not once, not twice, but three times. And at first it's just a simple denial. No, I don't know that guy. Then he takes an oath. No, I do not know that man. The third time, he says, he starts cursing everybody around him. And he says, I do not know that man. This guy who went from hanging out with Jesus and he looked him in the eye and said, I won't deny you. I won't deny you. Denied him three times. And it's the same that happened with Peter. It happens with us. The longer we stay in this environment, the easier it is to deny him. You walk away from Jesus and you, you, you will, it's easy to place yourself in a position that is to deny him. It's not if, it's just a matter of when. If Peter could not survive outside of his relationship with Jesus and outside of his community, then neither can we. Then neither can we. That's pretty serious. But there's hope. If you read in Matthew 26, 75, it says this. Then Peter remembered the word that Jesus had spoken. Before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. And he went outside and wept Bitterly. The way we know Peter belonged to Christ is because he recognized the denial and the denial broke Jesus' heart. He went and repented and got things right back with God. That is different than saying, staying in the denial and looking around and like, you know what? I'm saved by grace. I have a relationship with Jesus that is, that is full of grace. And I sit here denying him. 
but I'll go to church occasionally and, and I'll do some nice things and I'll, and I'll serve some people and, and I'll be okay. The way that we know that we belong to Jesus Christ is that when we deny him in our life and when we sin against him, it breaks our heart. It breaks our heart when we deny Christ in our lives. If we can live in the sin of our life, our heart and our heart never breaks, we have a major barrier in our relationship with Jesus. Sin should break our heart because it breaks God's heart. We want to wrap our minds tonight around two major concepts. And it's going to, we're going to look in Hebrews 10. So if you have your Bible... Some of the verses will be on the screen, or you can use it off of your phone. It's Hebrews 10. And the first verses, I'm going to give you a little bit of context. The first 18 verses, he's talking about the old laws and the old ways of sacrifice. You had to give animals, and it was only temporary, and you had to do it once a year. And this is talking about that Jesus came to deal with sin permanently. He came, there was blood on the cross, cleansed us. He made us right and perfect and everything good with God. So his sacrifice, he made us perfect and holy with God. And that's what those first 18 verses, they're very important. So, you know, if you have time, go back because it talks about the Jesus sacrifice. So the first, the first concept we want to talk about is, is the call to Christ is serious. The call to Christ is is serious. Understand that the call to Christ is not just to attend church, which is good. But I know a lot of people who come to church who don't follow or committed to Jesus. And if you're new, I'm glad you're here. We're going to keep telling you how awesome Jesus is. But we understand that the call to Jesus is serious, not perfect, but serious. It's not a prayer that we say once and then we live however we want. If you're going to follow Jesus, he wants us to be serious about it. So let's go ahead and turn to verse 19. Read verses 19. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened for us through the curtain that is his body, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. The Bible says if we're going to follow Jesus, let's let's be serious about it. But in America, it seems like it's okay to be serious about anything as long as it doesn't pertain to Jesus because then it, it gets weird. We're serious about football. We love the U of A. We will paint our bodies. No, I don't do that. And we will spend tons of money on it. And, you know, we love the U of A until they lose. And then sometimes we're not. Or, or marathons. There's a triathlon. The Tour de Tucson's coming up. We're intense about bicycling. You know, the training is intense. I'm a scrapbooker. And these people are crazy. I've been to a convention where they have taken the whole TCC over, a convention center of scrapbookers, which is my husband's worst nightmare. I just had a little cold chill. <laughs> but they are seriously intense about scrapbooking. They've got rooms devoted to their house over this. Hundreds and thousands of dollars on scrapbooking. But when you bring up Jesus, it's like, ooh, that's, you, you got a little weird, Kimberly. The world looks at commitment, and they should have to go no further 
to look at commitment than the church. And know that we are seriously following Jesus, not because of a shirt we wear. You know, Brian has a shirt that says God's way, not subway. I struggle with Thanks it. for bringing that up, honey. I, I know, appreciate honey. that. They should know us about our bumper stickers. I don't put bumper stickers on my car saying anything about Jesus because I don't want people to equate my bad driving with Jesus. So, I mean, I great. Yes, Mark, I, that's you. Um, you know, I know that bumper stickers are great and everybody loves them, but do you think people come to Jesus because your bumper sticker or your God's way t-shirt? Yes. Or God forbid doing something crazy, like standing on the street corner, yelling in a bullhorn. If we're going to, I mean, that's just weird. We don't want to be weird. We want to be serious. And if we're going to follow Jesus, let's be serious and sincere. And that's what Hebrews is saying. That Jesus did not die on the cross for you to come to church occasionally, memorize some Bible verses, get a silly t-shirt. The veil was torn between God serious, honey. The veil was torn between God and us. He, Jesus gave us all and he wants all of us. He wants us to follow him and be obedient and and be serious. But he knows, and we know, because this is hard. We are not standing up here saying this is easy. If you've been told it's easy, somebody lied to you. Because if you have not struggled, if you have not struggled, then you have not followed because this is hard. There's some people right now that as you heard Kimberly finish that last section that, uh, that you're sitting out there and, and you follow Jesus and you're struggling. You're struggling. Your life is a hot mess. Everything around you seems to be just, just not in order. And it's not because you don't love him. It's because of the world we live in. Let's read Hebrews 10:23. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for the who promised is faithful. Let me read that again. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. This summer, we took a, uh, a road trip um, into uh, Telluride, Colorado. In, uh, it's a beautiful country, and uh, I really don't know what it looks like because we drove there in the dark. Bad decision. That was my bad decision. And um, I'll own that. And so we were... Uh, I hope that gives me brownie points later. All right. So we're driving in Tyride. It is, it is pitch black. And we're in these high mountains. And it is eerie how high we are. And so we're driving down the road. And you see these wildlife, you know, wildlife danger next 2,700 miles or whatever it was. And uh, it seemed like forever. And, uh, and so I was like, I was, you know, I had my hands on the steering wheel and, and I was focusing on what we were doing. And, and all of a sudden my headlights came around a corner and all I saw was a herd of elk and not just little elk, big gargantuan elk. They took up the whole road. And, you know, in all my years of, you know, coming in front of elk, I knew that one, they would take off the front of the excursion and we would have no vacation. Or two, I could swerve around them, um, but the 10,000-foot mountain that I was on, we would drop off in a cliff and we would go that way. Mm-hmm. And so common sense says, you know what? I'm going to slow things down. I'm going to slow the car down and I'm going to lay on my horn. And, the, and finally the elk passed. I had a couple decisions there. 
and happened again. The kids were freaking out. And Kimberly was freaking out. She doesn't like traveling in the mountains anyway. And so um, if I would have chose to swerve, that wouldn't have just affected me. That would have affected the kids in the car and the people that we had in the car on that vacation. And so I want you to underline in your Bible, if you have it or in your notes, unswerving. Put that in. That's, there's a, that's a huge word that we're going to be talking about in the, in the next couple minutes. Is, um, and I think we, we've bought into some lies um, as Christians and as people that my sin only affects me personally. That's a lie. Because what you do will ultimately determine who you are. Your sin today will affect those around you. It hurts everyone. I've been in the ministry when I was 20. I had my first ministry job at a church. And, and um, I re- started to realize that decisions I made um, during the week or where I drove or what I did, um, there was a perception that went with that. And I know, and I know Jack knows this, is if we would go commit a crime somewhere or if we would get into some situations that were immoral, it would drag everyone with us. It just doesn't affect me. It just doesn't affect my wife. It affects everyone that has in contact with you. We accept swerving as a normal occurrence in our Christian walk. You love Jesus and you're a Christian, but we swerve. We believe that lie that saved people don't struggle. Ladies, you meet a guy. He's not godly. He's not a church follower or a church goer. And you think to yourself, but he's cute. You know how many times I've heard that? And guys, meeting a girl. Oh my gosh, she's amazing. Does she go to church? Does she have a relationship with Jesus? No, but she's fine. (laughs) You business owners, you moved into the gray of a business decision. You knew was probably wrong or probably had 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 an issue, but you just swerved. Just swerved. Facebook. Facebook, Facebook, Facebook. You go home or you've got an argument with your spouse or a relationship. You look up an old friend. You start chatting back and forth, private messaging back and forth. Hey, you remember when? You swerve. Websites. Guys, I'm talking to you specifically, but I know women struggle with this also. Going to inappropriate websites and and clicking on things for our own self-benefit. We swerve. We believe in Jesus and we love Jesus, but we swerve. We struggle. The Bible says, let's not swerve. Let's have hope in the God. And he is faithful. He just promised it. But there are some myths, and we've been talking a little bit about them, about that we have bought in as people. And so we're going to go through a couple of those. But just remember, we swerve. One of the first myths that we believe is that salvation is enough. Salvation is enough. 
The people on this side of the cross, we know Jesus. And the people on this side of the cross, they don't know Jesus. So we Christians sometimes we're like, oh, they don't know Jesus. We've got to pray for them. And we call them those people. Because, we, you know, we said our prayer and we think that we're, you know, that those people we got to pray for. But we got it all together now because we said that prayer and we've accepted Jesus. And we come to church and we act like everything's okay. How's it going? Fine. Everything's fine. Perfect. Praise Jesus. Praise Jesus. Amen. Bless you, brother. And we just walk around saying that. Because we're not those people. We do love Jesus. But here's what I know. That the people on this side of the cross are just as jacked up as the people on this side of the cross. Amen. We do love Jesus. We really do. But we don't know how our marriage is going to make it one more week. We love Jesus. But we have no idea how to get our kids out of these spots. We do love Jesus, but we've packed our schedule so tight. He's kind of an afterthought. We fall into the myth that a lot of saved people do, that once I'm saved, it'll fix everything. And I'm here to tell you that it doesn't fix everything. Save people struggle. I struggle. If you know me, I'm a borderline hot mess most of the time. I, think, I don't think you can shake your head. To that. I didn't. Okay. Save people struggle. The other myth that um, we buy into sometime is emotion will sustain my devotion. Let me say that again. Emotion will sustain my devotion. We can't walk with Jesus unless there's an emotional attachment to it. We can't worship Jesus without an emotional attachment to it. It's like it's when we cheer on a football team and we're super excited when they're winning and then they lose and we're like, man, you know what? We need to fire that coach. Or it's like youth camp. I, I've put on um, many years of youth camp and done all that. And, and kids get super excited. They get, you know, there's, there's tears and they want change and they, they are super excited and they're going to be committed to who Christ is. And they come home and I, I don't see him in two weeks. I don't see him ever. Or it's like us coming on Sunday nights and, and we're fully into worship. We're raising our hands and we're praising and we're doing everything that we need to do or we think we need to do. We walk out the door and we swerve on Monday. Another myth we buy into is the more I know, the more I know, the more knowledgeable I'm about the, about the Bible, the less I'll sin. The more I know. Well, Peter knew a lot. I mean, he hung out with Jesus personally for three years and Peter denied Christ. He disowned him. Information does not lead to intimacy. If Brian just kind of knew me, knew about me, but didn't apply any of, you know, that love stuff, I'd be like, Hey, information does not mean intimacy. Application leads to intimacy. It's not what we know. It's what we apply. Right. And another myth is I need to make more promises. Anybody been in that boat? I'll just, I won't do it this time. I won't do it again. But Peter, the closest one to Jesus, made a promise and he couldn't keep it. And by the end of Matthew 26, he had denied Christ. 
early on in ministry, um, we started something with uh, with Kimberly, and I was a youth in youth ministry first, and then we started our nonprofit. And uh, um, I thought it was very important that I never be alone uh, with a female. Not not saying that the females around were untrustworthy, but just perception is everything. And so we, um, I made that a rule, and we did that, and uh, and it's. I could make that a promise. Like promise, I promise, honey, I won't do that. I promise I won't, you know, get into that. But I didn't make a promise. I put people around me that helped me uh, know that. It, w- it wasn't easy when uh, I could take a girl home that just lived right by us, but we had to ask someone that lived on the opposite side of Tucson to take this girl home that lived out in, in Rita Ranch. It w- it's not easier. These myths and promises aren't easier but it's putting people around you that support you and hold you accountable and help you from swerving. They help you from swerving off the path and keep it straight. So if our first concept was the call to Christ is serious and that in order to do that, we need to be part of a community. One way to do that. Our second concept that comes out of Hebrews is community is essential for commitment Community is essential for commitment. We all have sins we struggle with. Yes, ma'am. We all have sins we struggle with. You know, if I'm going to Walgreens and I'm going to the red box and, you know, a guy who's selling meth comes up to me and is like, hey, you want some meth? I don't go, hmm, let me think about this. Can I get your number in case I get back to you? Because I, I don't struggle with that. Or if I go to my friend's house and she says, oh, my neighbor's dogs, they won't stop barking. Will you let me kill, will you let me kill my neighbor and their dogs? I don't go, hmm, let me weigh the pros and the cons. You know, I got a meth dealer's phone number in my pocket. I can share that with you. No, I don't, I don't deal with, I don't struggle with, with drugs or with, with murder. (laughs) Most of the time. But you put a chocolate chip cookie with icing in front of me and say, don't eat that. It's gluttony. I will kill you to get it. (laughs) And I won't even feel bad about it. My kids have a joke. They know. They know. They're like, that's mama's cookie. Don't be touching mama's cookie. (laughs) One of the reasons we need to be in community is we all have sins we struggle with. But it's the ones we don't see coming. That we got to be, uh, be a community. Because community surrounds us and helps us be like, did you see that coming? Do you remember those documentaries with the antelopes and they're all in the Africa tundra and they're at the water hole? And all of a sudden he looks up and he goes like this and you know that lion or whatever is out there. And he does this, a head nod, and they all start galloping away unless you're the slow one. Woohoo. You know, the antelope didn't say, let's get together and, and, and sing a song and pray. Let's pray about this lion. No, because you know what you call the, the, the people that just that are sitting around there? You call them dinner. They're dead. The antelope saying, rally up, let's go, because the enemy's out there. And the, he's coming like a thief in the night, the night to destroy you. To destroy your families, to destroy your marriage, to destroy your children, to destroy your walk with Jesus. He's, he's there. If we're going to believe in Jesus, we've got to believe in the enemy. And he is out to destroy. So community, it, they get us around and they, they, 
they sit and they, or they come around us and they say, hey, let's run. Or do you need help? Because I'm here to journey with you. And in verse 24, it talks a little bit about that. It says, and let us consider how we may spur. I love that word spur. I'm from the South. Can't get it out. One another on towards love and good deeds. Let us spur on each other. And when I think of spurs, I think of cowboys and horses and you got the little spurs on them. Because a horse, when you're sitting on a horse, a horse has, has two choices. It's going to stay on the path. Or it's going to swerve a little bit and go its own way. And when you kind of click your heels, I mean, I don't ride a lot of horses, but I feel like, you know, it gets it back on path to keep us going on this path so we don't swerve off. I mean, you just don't want to be running around by yourself. And that's the way it is with Christians. That sometimes all of us, we need to be spurred a little bit or poked or jabbed a little bit in the eye. (laughs) Not really. And sometimes this happens on a church level. Sometimes something the pastor hopefully says something that spurs you on to live life a little bit differently. And sometimes you've got to be spurred on in a personal level. When Brian and I were first together, um, I like to sometimes be a little critical of him in public, very publicly. And a friend of mine, she was older, um, she said, Kimberly, is, is that what you really want to be about? Because you just crushed his spirit. And I was like, oh, no. And you guys, it hurt. And it was embarrassing. And it was tough to hear. But I've spent the last 20 years, and I don't always do it well, trying not to publicly embarrass my husband. Because that's not what I want to be about. And that's not what I want our relation to be about. Not because I'm a pastor's wife, but because I love him. And I had a friend that loved me enough to have a hard conversation with me and say, are you, are you sure that's what you want to be about? Men, we need men in this church to step up and start having some hard conversations, not in judgment, but to be like, is that what your life is about? Is that the way you're going to treat your wife? Do you even, do you even know your kid's name because your schedule's so busy? And women, we need women. We need to spur on each other. You said that as a prayer request, but that was just gossip. Ugh, I, the gossiping is so easy. We need to spur each other on, and this doesn't happen just coming every once in a while on the third Sunday of the fifth month. This happens. This has to happen intentionally. It's not like we go around being like, mm, uh-huh, I'm going to pick on you today. You need Jesus. You've got to do this. No, this is about being in relationships, intentional relationships where you give permission for people to step into your life and say, you don't have to live this way. Are you sure this is what you want to be about? She has done really well with that. Oh, wow. <laughs> he gets on. I know, isn't that awesome? <laughs> In uh, verse 25, let's look at Hebrews 10, 25. And I'm going to read this. And uh, so, let's not give up meeting together. That means going to church. As some are in the habit of doing, because some people always drop out. But encouraging one another. For how long, you ask, till Jesus comes back? 
let's not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another until the day of Christ Jesus. It's not just about spurring on because we can visualize that, but it's also about encouraging, which is a little harder. Here's what I know. There's a couple in here that is struggling in their marriage in this room. I don't know that for a fact. I'm just saying. And there's other couples in this room that have had that same struggle and now have walked through the other side and have a stronger relationship for it. And so the people that are struggling should be able to go to the people that have been through it and they should be able to have a communication with them and encourage them that, hey, stick in there. This will change. There are people in this room that have maybe have overcome over addictions. And there's people in this room that have recovered from addictions. And they can have a conversation and say, hey, I encourage you, stick to it. This is, this is what I did. This is where God was in with me. We need to put ourselves in a community for the purpose of encouraging each other. We need to put ourselves in relationships with each other so that we can encourage each other. Another lie is that we believe as we come to church, the church is the place that you go to be fake. Do I need to say that again? The church is the place where you go to be fake. It's never okay to admit we are struggling, not to show how broken we are. Sometimes in church, it seems like no one struggles. Everyone has big smiles, big Bibles, great notes that they share, fun and motivating tweets that come out of the service, awesome Facebook posts, no struggles, no one struggles, but when someone's life falls apart, we're also act surprised because we haven't created an environment in which we can share our struggles, our hurts, or our pains. The best way to get past your struggles is to confess and to repent like Peter did. Peter went outside and wept. But are we a church that is willing to do that. People push back and say, then people will find out who I am. Who you are will always come out. We need to learn how to attend a church, attend a small group, be a part of a community that is involved with each other to get real with each other. That's where real Life change happens when we're willing to stop being fake or putting up a front or being prideful or in our own denial of who we are. And the purpose becomes to encourage each of us in the journey that we have in life. So when we stumble, when we fall, when we break and we crumble, We have a community that picks us up, puts us back together, faces us forward, and dusts us off and sends us on. But Christian church, 
is known for shooting its wounded. I've been guilty of that. Mm-hmm. I've been guilty of judge of, well, I don't think that person fits here. Not here. But we want a place where we can pick people up, dust them off, face them forward, spurring them on to face Jesus, encouraging others in their walk with Jesus. But encouragement is not saying everything's okay. We're all under grace here. So we don't have to change nothing. We can do whatever we want, how, live however we want. Because that's excuse making and not holding each other accountable. That's not encouragement. Because you still got to stay true to what Jesus says and what the Bible says. Encouragement is seeing that people have fallen, seeing that they're broken and they're acknowledging this and you help pick them up and say, you don't have to live this way anymore. That marriage, it can be mended. It's a lot of hard work, but it can be mended. Those addictions, they can be overcome. It is hard, but they can be overcome. And it's okay to not be okay. But God is faithful. And if we believe that the same Jesus who raised people from the dead and died on that cross for our sins and wiped them clean, then we got to believe that he's faithful enough to help our marriages, to help our families, to help in our jobs, to help with these addictions. we got to be a community that says it's okay to not be okay. I've been a Christian for about 20 years, and I don't know anything but community. I don't know if Brian just kind of got me there, and that's where we were at. But we started off in community as youth leaders, and he was a youth pastor, and we were in community then. We also joined up. We had a really strong college group. We then become a young married group. We've also been part of groups that serve and, and minister to teenagers and mentor college students. And when, when we've always had community. But it hasn't always been easy. When Lakin was born, we decided it was time for us to buy a house. And I was a teacher, which made little money. And he start, just started a nonprofit, which made even less money. So we knew that the odds of us for getting qualified for a home were low. We had great credit, but we had low income. So we prayed, God, we're going to go to the bank. We're going to ask for a loan. If they laugh at us, it is what it is. But if we get this house... We are committed to opening it up for community as for, for as long as we're alive. We go to the bank and um, we showed them our pay stubs and they kind of giggled. And there was a teacher police officer uh, program and they said, you have to put $3,000 down. Um, you're seven points away, your credit score, from getting the loan without any money down. And I was like, we don't have $3,000. We just had a baby. I'm on maternity leave. And she's like, I'm sorry. I was like, okay. You know, I guess that's what it is. And she's like, wait, 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 wait. Let me make a phone call. So she calls and and we're sitting there and we're packing up Lake. And I mean, we're out of there. Felt a little silly, but we knew that maybe this wasn't God's timing. It wasn't his plan. She said, I just talked to my manager. You've got the house. You've got the loan. No money down. Are you ready to go buy a house? We knew that getting that house was a miracle. It was a God-sized miracle. And we have stayed true to that commitment of opening our home and having it be part of community. But let me tell you, it has not been easy. 
I have been discouraged. I've been brokenhearted. I've been kicked in the face by people, not literally, but, you know, emotionally. There are times where people have attacked my character. They've attacked me as a mom, as a pastor's wife. They've attacked my Christian walk. And I've let them into my home sometimes for years. And every time I feel like I got to, Brian, I cannot do this not one more time. I cannot have not one more group come through this house. I want to shut the door, close the curtains and say, no more. And God says, Kimberly, don't you forget where you came from. Don't you forget growing up how alone you were. I didn't become a Christian until I was 23. And I remember how alone it was. I remember when one of my best friends died. There was no Christian community. There was no God to lean on. There was no Brian. There was no one helping me with my dad being an alcoholic and my family being crazy. There was no one to help me journey through an abusive relationship. I was alone. So I opened my home and I opened my heart. And every time I want to quit, he says, Kimberly, you don't not, you do not want not one more person to be alone like you were. Not one more person to think that they'll never get to hear the hope of Jesus. And that they don't have to ever be alone again. That is why I'm passionate about small groups. That is why I'm passionate about getting real in communities. That is why I come up here. Because we are called to meet together as a large group, as church. We are the body of Christ. It's not this building. It's the people in here. And we are called to meet together in smaller groups. Having people step into our lives and have those hard conversations. No matter the cost. To journey together, to help us not to swerve, to pick each other up. Because it's not either or. Well, if I go to church, I don't have to do this. Or if I go to my small group, I don't have to go to church. No, it's both. Element City Church says no one stands alone. And there's a lot of alone people in this room tonight. There's a lot of alone people in this room tonight. And so we want to challenge you by... God's word tonight and some of the myths and things we've talked about is we want to challenge you to have a deeper relationship that spurs you in your walk with Christ and encourages you. Some of you have that and there's some of you that don't. Our prayer has been that you have a a friend that, that you can face and will allow you to speak into their life and them into your life. If you don't, we have some e-groups available for you to, to build a relationship and to have that community to feel support. We know, it's, we know it's not always possible for you to attend an e-group or to be there because of schedule. And, and I remember when Kimberly and I were in a, in a community with small kids, I remember so many times we would go and we were super excited to have community with other, other parents and, and, and go and do and then one of our kids would bite one someone or, you know, and, and then we'd have to figure out, well, do we stay and just let her bite everybody or do we, or do we go, you know, go home? And so 
I'm not saying that you have to attend an e-group. Those e-groups are there as an environment for you to build community. But if you have certain circumstances where you can't get to an e-group or you can't schedule-wise, be creative. God is creative. Maybe, maybe you can find a, um, a, an intentional relationship. You can have a, an intentional phone call once a week or a FaceTime. We have technology. But it's all about being intentional. It's all about not being isolated. Remember, the goal of the enemy is to isolate us, to make us feel like we're the only one. Like the info commercial. All those info commercials are designed to get you isolated to make a decision to pay five payments of $59.99. And what I'm telling you is if you buy in on a smaller community, whether it's over the phone, over the, over the computer, or whatever it is, it will not return void because it's in Jesus' plan. His plan is community. It's us spurring and encouraging together. You may be new here. These are some next steps. So, one, get into an e-group or get some people around you that you can be real with and be intentional with. If you're new and you're like, I don't know about these people, I would hope we haven't scared you away. But we have a... um, a gathering called Starting Point. It's December 4th. It's 6.30 to 8.30 at our church office on Wilmot. And we would love for you to be there. If you would, we would tell you it's, it's a way that you can connect with people. It's a way that you can gather and start those relationships in the church. I'm going to keep on going a little bit deeper. There's those of you in this room that have been in church a very long time. You can be young and been in church a long time, or you can be older and been in church a long time. But you have been the benefit. You have had the benefit of a community. You have been in benefit from people that cared for you and spurred you on and encouraged you. And whether you've, you've swerved out of that and, you, and you're not in that now, but you've got that experience. And the younger people and the people that don't have that community in our church body would love and thrive and be amazed if you would spend time with them, connecting with them and moving with them and showing them Jesus, the Jesus that you know, the Jesus that you live out and the Jesus that you call your Savior. And I'm going to challenge you. There's, I know that God is speaking to someone in this room tonight or multiple people that are willing to say, you know what, I'll open my home up to host an e-group so that we can gather a community of believers, of people, so that we can leave people not alone. Or there may be somebody in the room that say, you know what, I'll, I'll teach. I don't have a house. I have an apartment. I don't, but I'll figure out something. God just wants to use us. He'll figure out the details. So that's my, one of my challenges. The other is you may have walked in tonight and you may have been coming for a little while or you walked in here for the first time tonight and you're like, they're talking a lot about Jesus and I don't really know him, but he seems cool or he's a little scary. I don't know sure yet, but I would love to invite you to a life-giving, life-changing relationship with Jesus Christ. And we're going to pray at the end. And if you have, want to pray that prayer, if you want to start a, a relationship with Jesus, we would love to help you do that. He created us. 
He knows us. We can't hide from him. He knows when we deny him. He knows when we swerve. And so let's stop and just build community with each other. Be real so that we can spur and encourage. Follow Christ as seriously as we know how. It's not about the knowledge. It's just where you are at this moment. And that no one stands alone. We're going to take some communion. We do this every week. And for you that are new, it's, it's a semblance of, of the body that Jesus gave on the cross and the blood that poured over and forgave us of our sins. There's stations down in the middle and each side. But I want you to think. If you've been journeying with Jesus, if you have been moving with Jesus, and you've swerved a little, just acknowledge it. Repent to him. Let him know. And then take communion with a a freshness, a newness, and move forward. So just pray. And when you feel ready to to take communion, go take communion, and we'll finish with a song. And I'm actually going to pray right before we do communion about following Jesus. So just, I'm going to pray for you. Dear Heavenly Father, if there's people here tonight, Lord, that don't know you or that would love to know you, Lord, we just, we pray this simple prayer. Jesus, I love you. I love you with all my heart. If, I, if you're there, Lord, I don't know maybe about you. I'm intrigued by you and I, I'm, I, I would like to maybe start a, an adventure with you. Lord, just come into my life and, and show me how to follow you. Lord, show me how to have community with others so that I don't feel alone. And Father, just be with us, the rest of us, as we, as we struggle through life, as we are, are hot messes. Lord, that you love us no matter what. Lord, that we, we swerve but, and we deny you. But Lord, you are a graceful, merciful God and you always accept us back. Lord, we thank you for loving us. Lord, as we take communion tonight, Lord, let, it, let the, the flavor and, the, and the, the tartness of that juice just remind us of who you are. And the bread, as we eat it, reminded of the sacrifice that you gave us.